This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Fred Allen was noted for his battles with network officials during his radio years, which often led to the censoring of a few moments to minutes of his show. To try and control his behavior, network officials began making Allen submit verbatim scripts prior to air for their approval. Now, oftentimes, network officials would make Allen delete or revise a joke here and there before approving the script. In retaliation, Allen began inserting jokes in his script that he had no intention of using on the air, using them as bargaining chips for the network, agreeing to cut certain jokes in exchange for others. In addition, Allen would often ad-lib material, and since most radio programs in those days were broadcast live, with the exception of the occasional delay here and there, the audience would sometimes hear a bleep in place of a word or a phrase. Perhaps the most memorable part of the Fred Allen show were the Allen Alley uh, segments. The segments would usually have Allen strolling through an imaginary neighborhood, knocking on the doors of various neighbors. And in moments, we'll enjoy one of those walkabouts. It isn't a friend of Gladys Sabisco's, kiddies. The makers of Blue Bonnet Margarine and Tender Leaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, Phil Baker, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, Alan Reed as Falstaff Openshaw, the Tender Leaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you're wondering who plays Senator Claghorn, my name is Kenny Delmar. This week, ladies and gentlemen, Bing Crosby's sponsor started suit to get Bing to go back on the air. Tonight, we bring you a man whose sponsor is thinking of starting suit to get him off the air, and here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And, Kenny, I was reading about that Bing Crosby suit. You know, I don't uh, really think that Bing wants to work. I hear he's moving to Stamford. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're off to a nice dull start. <laughs> Anything that happens from now on will be a highlight. <laughs> well, what about your sponsor, Fred? Well, our sponsor thinks, I believe, he thinks we're a little behind the times with our show, Kenny. Well, how do you mean? Well, all of the other radio programs don't bother with entertainment anymore. They're just giving things away. Jack Benny's giving away $10,000. Bob Hope's giving away Jeeps. And Red Skelton is giving away automobiles. Yeah, well, don't you think you should give something away, Fred? I was just going to announce it, Kenny. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Starting next week, 
To every person who wins an automobile on Red Skelton's program, I will give a road map. <laughs> I'll even open it if the party's too weak. I'll even open the road map. Well, that ought to cause plenty of talk. Yes. <laughs> and it's the kind of talk I don't want to be around to hear, Kenny. I have enough trouble the way things are. Well, Portland. Kenny and I were just talking about radio programs giving things away. Oh, radio is wonderful. Well, how do you mean? My uncle was on a program called Blind Date. Oh, uh, what happened? His number was called, and he had to take out a chorus girl. I see. Next day, they both went on a program called People Are Funny, and he proposed to her. He did, huh? Then they went on a program called Honeymoon in New York and got married over 150 stations. 150 stations, good. Then they went on Truth or Consequences and won enough furniture for their house. They lived happily ever after? No. They went on Battle of the Sexes and had a big fight. Well, is the marriage off? Well, we won't know until tomorrow. Well, what's tomorrow? They're on Mr. Anthony's program. <laughs> They have completed their happy kilo cycle, in other words. But you know, you were... You can almost... You can almost get anything in, in the radio today. But sometimes things go wrong. Well, how do you mean? Mama wrote a limerick for the National Barn Dance Contest. And something went wrong? Instead of the first prize of 100 bottles of Alka-Seltzer... Yeah? They sent her two hillbillies. Two hillbillies. <laughs> well, how did your mother, with her broken lorgnette... No, the... <laughs> the mother with that limp lawnette that hangs down so she can't look through it. How did she know the difference? Well, she put one of the hillbillies in water. And? He didn't fizz. Oh, well, that would give it away. <laughs> Probably made the water good and dirty, though. But speaking of fizzes reminds me, <laughs> we better start thinking of getting along to see those old familiar fizzes down in Allen's Alley. What is your question for tonight? Well, Portland, this week the New York movie critics made their annual awards for the outstanding films and performances of 1945. And so this evening our question is, if you are a movie fan, what pictures and performances impressed you most during the past year? Shall we go? As the druggist said when he had a headache, I think I'll take a powder. <laughs> Well, Portland, here we are back in Allen's Alley. Say, the senator's home tonight. His hound dog is curled up there under the porch. See it? Somebody, I say, somebody now. Yes, I know. Claghorn's the name Senator Claghorn. I know, I know. You're from Dixie. But I eat crackers in bed. I only eat Georgia crackers. Now, wait a minute. Now, when I leave New York, I always take the South Ferry. Now, wait a look. Way down upon the Swanee River. You're a little I'm bla- singing Swanee song. Well, I know what you're singing. Show some reverence, son. Kneel down and uncover. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> your gum, son. Now, just let, let me Let me get... talk for a change. Change, that is. You let me get a word yeah, in. Keep chattering, son. I don't even get a chance. Oh, son, you're going like a cow's tail in fly time. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> While you're taking in a little wind, Senator, do you mind if I intersperse something in here? What was Washington's reaction to the choice of the most popular movie stars? We took our own poll in Congress. Everybody was talking all at once. 
Even Senator Brooks was babbling. <laughs> yep, yep. Babbling Brooks, that's a joke. I know it. Galveston <laughs> Gafford. I don't care. There's a Savannah Sakaroo. Look, I don't care. I crack wise and you look dumb. I'm looking dumb. Hold up, son. You're subnormal. Stop that in. Now, wait a minute. Be careful how low you go, even in water, Senator. Now, you watch that sub stuff. Now, look, about these Hollywood stars. Are you a movie fan? I quit, I say, I quit going to movies, son. Why? Last picture I saw made my down yonder blood boil. Your down yonder blood was boiling, eh? Well, what happened? At the end of the picture, Ann Southern married Cary Grant. But why? Uh... I couldn't stand to see another Grant taking anything Southern. Go on, Grant. Go on, Grant. Go on, <laughs> the senator <laughs> The senator must have just finished dinner I, I smelled a little hog jowl on his breath <laughs> Oh, well, I, uh, I wonder Let's get along down the alley I wonder what Titus Moody has on his mind tonight Howdy, Bob <laughs> Mr. Um, Mr. Moody, you uh, you look a little weary tonight. Yeah, I've had tough sledding all week. Oh, why uh, why should you have tough sledding? No snow. Oh. Well. <laughs> Tell me, uh, Mr. Moody, how do you feel about these movie awards? Boris Karloff should have won. You think that he's the best actor? No, teen detective. Well, what makes you such an ardent Karloff fan? Well, I'll tell you. I got a big wart on my Adam's apple. Oh, a wart, eh? Yeah, it's right here under my collar button. I see it there. When I put on my collar, the collar button presses against the wart. Yeah? The wart presses against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. Oh, with what, uh... The only pleasure, the only pleasure I've had for ten years, I owe Boris Karloff. Well, how do you mean? Well, when I go into the theater, my collar button is pressing against the wart. Yeah? The wart's pressing against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. <laughs> Then, Boris Karloff comes on the screen. Yes? My flesh starts to creep. Yes? The wart creeps up over my collar. Yes? I can't explain the feeling. It's utopia. (laughs) When the picture is over... Then, the wart creeps back down. The collar button starts pressing. I'm in agonizing pain again. Well, as far as you and your wart are concerned, outside of Boris Karloff... All them other Hollywood actors is just a pain in the neck. So long, Bob. So long. (laughs) Well, when Boris Karloff is in town, Mr. Moody's wart is going places. Now, let's see what happens next door here. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Olivia de (laughs) Hellevar? <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you a movie fan? Not me, my husband, Pierre. Oh, Pierre, Pierre likes pictures, huh? Every day you're seeing movies, always in Technicolor. Oh, Technicolor, huh? To Pierre, every picture is looking Technicolor. Well, how come? His eyes are bloodshot. <laughs> but don't you see so many movies bother Pierre? Always he is coming home with different personalities. Well, how do you mean? Pierre is seeing a picture with uh, Ronald Coleman. Yes. He is making with an English accent. Oh, eh? Really? 
Je zou in de daren zijn. Was machst du al, krampen? Was machst du al, krampen, hè? Also, zal gezond en chill. En hij is certainly cultured, wat? He is singing in a picture, Bingle and Crosby. Yes. Around the house, Pierre is singing. I see. When Pierre sings Bob Hope, yes. he is making with rice crackles. Well, say, with such a versatile husband, you must be very happy. I am getting a divorce. Well, why? Last week, Pierre sang in a picture Tarzan. So? He is refusing to live home. You mean you can't get him into the house? I can't get him down from the tree. <laughs> At the last shack in Allen's Alley. I wonder what a knock will bring here. Sound the trumpets, round me rally. Falstaff's back in Allen's Alley. Falstaff, open show. Well, welcome to town, Falstaff. Happy homecoming. Thank you, Lord. Oh, where have you been? I have been enjoying a sabbatical on the Bowery. Oh, you... <laughs> You've been coining new dactyls? Oh, indubitably. Really? Have you heard, said the bumblebee to the little flea, don't touch that stuff, it's DDT. <laughs> no. Or, uh, as the waiter said when he brought the horseradish, I hope that covers your beef. <laughs> no. How about this? My mother is lonesome when she goes to a fire. LaGuardia isn't there, and neither is O'Dwyer. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait. That is, you've overdone it finally, Falstaff. Tonight, we are simply discussing the Critics' Awards for the best films of 1945. Precisely why I greyhounded it. <laughs> I have contrived an epic. A poem about the movie awards? What is it called? The Forgotten Award. And how does it go? Each year, the critics give awards to pictures and to actors. The direction and performances they term deciding factors. Paramount is cited, an award to movie tone, a plaque to Ingrid Bergman. Even Lassie gets a bone. I hail the movie industry, but I also must remind him that an award should be awarded to the man who is behind it. This guy makes Hollywood possible. He's not director, star, or picket. He's just the average man who digs down and buys a ticket. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you. And from the rancid rhymes of Bard Openshaw, we turn to the refreshing refrains of the five DeMarco sisters. Accompanied by, <laughs> accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his United Nations Ensemble, <laughs> the DeMarco sings The Moment I Met You. Right from out of the sky, I sang hallelujah When suddenly knew 
acting. That was I Am Always Chasing Rainbows, another in the Maestro Al Goodman series of Remnant Rhapsodies. Say, Portland. Yes? Has that uh, lawyer called me yet? Lawyer? Are you in trouble? Am I in trouble? All week I've been in more hot water than a slice of lemon in a Russian tea room. (laughs) I am out on bail right now. Gosh, what happened? Well, you've read that line in some other program we've had. That's very reminiscent. (laughs) Well, Portland, you want to know what happened? The whole thing started last Sunday night after the broadcast. You know, I generally go over to the Hamburger Hovel on 8th Avenue. For a nickel over there, they serve a hamburger as big as a catcher's mitt. Even a buckle in the back of the hamburger. They put the, they put the piccalilli on with a trowel. Well, I took a cab at Radio City, and we were driving along the street. We had gone a few blocks when the driver said... Uh, you said the Hamburger Hovel, didn't you, bud? Yes, driver. Okay. Hey, Miss Busy, as a termite in the woodwork, I must jump the as a yo-yo on a string. Boy, can that Sinatra write music. Say, driver, driver, just a minute, driver. Stop the cab. Okay, okay. Something wrong, something wrong, chump? I just felt in my pocket. My wallet's gone. I must have left it at the studio. You mean you ain't got no dough? Well, I I haven't any money with me. this is a buck even. Get it up, chisler. Now, well, look, if you'll just take me back to Radio City... No, so you can beat it out the other door. I had that fool on me before, chum. Where's that crank handle? Now, look, driver. Come on, out of the cab. I'm going to crown you with this crank handle. Now, wait a minute. Take this. You rats, you duck. <laughs> now, don't lose your head, driver. You broke my window. I broke your window. You broke the window. Well, if you'd have stood still, I'd have hit you. <laughs> now, look. A dollar on the meter, seven for the window. That's eight bucks you owe me. Now, I'll pay you the money. Don't get excited. Your blood pressure will go up, driver. I'm, uh, I'm Fred Allen. Sure, and I'm Jack Benny. Look, no hair. Yeah. <laughs> Rich Stalin, wise guy. Give me eight bucks. Say, look, driver. Look, across the street there. It's a radio studio. So what? Well, that sign. It says, tonight. Phil Baker in Take It or Leave It. So what? Say, I've got an idea. Now, Phil Baker's program goes on the air in about five minutes. I'll go on Take It or Leave It. I'll change my name. Phil Baker won't even know who I am. I'll answer four of those easy questions. I'll quit with the eight dollars. You'll have your money. Now, is it a deal? Okay. But you better win, brother. I got insurance. Insurance? This crank handles me insurance. Let's go. All right. Well, Portland, the cab driver and I got into the radio studio just in time. Luck was with me. My number was called. I was chosen as a contestant. I was sitting on the stage. The cab driver was glaring at me from the front row when I heard the announcer say... Presenting Take It or Leave It, starring Phil Baker. Yes, Take It or Leave It, the most exciting game you ever played. The game that doubles in interest with every question asked. The game with the giant jackpot. And now we give you the man with the $64 question, our paymaster of ceremonies, and here he is, Phil Baker. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the halls of Montezuma. Boy, there are plenty of people here tonight. I haven't seen such a crowd since the window shade in Betty Grable's dressing room fell down. But I really feel swell. You know, last Sunday night, Secretary Burns was pinch-hitting for me, answering some Russian $64 questions. So I went to Florida for a rest. 
Florida. Folks, there is a state. That's where the sun goes to get away from that California weather. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time to go to Florida, though. You go down there, your face is white. You get a great tan. You check out of the hotel, get your bill, and <laughs> you turn white again. <laughs> Those prices in Miami. I had a room overlooking a grapefruit for $18 a day. And speaking of grapefruit, here's our first contestant. What is your name, miss? Shirley S. Gum. Shirley S. Gum? What does the S stand for? Spearman. <laughs> Where's your home, Shirley? And what is your occupation, Shirley? I work in Bloomingdale's. I'm a laugher. A laugher at Bloomingdale's? Yeah, when women come in and ask for nylons, I laugh at You laugh at <laughs> I've heard of let a smile be your umbrella, but let a laugh be your nylons is a new one on me. Now, Miss Gum, what category have you selected from the board? Music. Good. Popular music. For one dollar, what is the name of this popular song? All right. What is the name of that popular song? Popular? I never heard of it. It's very popular. It ain't in Brooklyn. Ain't now, now, think. What, what, was, what was that song? Hmm? Chick? 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 Three chicks and a chuck? No. Chickory chick! Yeah, I think I got it, Mr. Baker. Is it chickory chick? Did you hear somebody yell that in the audience? Did somebody yell something? <laughs> you know, I'm as deep as a haddock. Yeah. I was born with two cauliflower ears. My mother was in the Golden Globe. <laughs> well, all right. I'm going to give you the dollar. Would you like to try it with two? You're quitting? Yeah, my boyfriend's a counterfeiter. He just wants a sample. I see. Go on. Go on. Well, that brings us to our next contestant. And your name, sir? Prentice Pontoon. <laughs> Prentice Pontoon. Did yes. you receive a present before you came up to the microphone? Uh, yes, sir. I never sharp fountain pen. Right. And it's guaranteed not for years, not for life, but guaranteed forever. Yes, sir. You look a little nervous. Would you like a cup of tea? I... I thought you served coffee, Mr. Baker. Not on this program. You'll take tea or a drink of hot blue bonnet margarine. <laughs> no, no thanks. You say your name is... Uh, um, Prentice Pontoon. Did anyone ever tell you that you looked like Fred Allen? Yes, I've been beaten up twice by radio listeners. <laughs> You've even got bags under your eyes like Allen. Yes, I know. What is your occupation, Mr. Pontoon? I am an oculist in a fish market. <laughs> oculist in a fish market? I when think. they lay a lot of dead fish in a fish market window, yes. I check on their eyes to make sure the fish are all looking in the same direction. Oh. <laughs> if one fish is looking the other way, it throws the whole window off. Yes. <laughs> You're just working for the halibut. Yes. Now, uh... <laughs> You know, I get people on this program with the darndest occupation. Really? One guy works in a restaurant on Second Avenue. He's a lentil feeler. A lentil feeler? Yes. If you order lentil soup, he puts his hand in and feels your lentils. <laughs> yeah. He takes out the hard lentils so they won't hurt your gums. He does messy work, <laughs> I yes, should say. <laughs> That's a joke, sir. I just want to... Another guy is a booster at the automat. When midgets come into the automat... 
he boosts them up so that they can see what dishes are in the top compartment. Well, that's a nice work. I Another guy is a perfume advisor in a five and ten cent store. A perfume advisor? Yes. When you take the top off a bottle, he tells you if what you smell is the perfume or another customer. Oh, <laughs> you have some uh, odd characters on your program, Mr. Baker. Tonight, especially. Uh, what would you like to talk about, Mr. Pontoon? Well, I think... How about uh, movie stars, world history, music? Uh, uh, world All history. All right, Mr. Pontoon, for one dollar. Take it easy now. Yes. Who is the president of the United States? No coaching, please. The president. He uh, was on the radio last Thursday instead of Abbott and Costello. That's, one, uh, <laughs> that's right. He said to Congress, you're bad boys. <laughs> What's the president's name? Uh, think now. Uh, Herman Truman. Well, that's close enough. Okay, you have a dollar. Hey, you're okay, Chuck. Quiet, please. No help from the audience. Do you want to try for two bucks with the pontoon? He said it. Well, what do you say? Well, you heard him. I'll try for two dollars. <laughs> Good. When you see pictures of Napoleon with his hand inside of his coat, what modern cartoon character does he remind you of? Itchy. Itchy is correct. <laughs> You're a very intelligent young man. Quiet. Who is this character in the audience? A friend of yours? The next two questions will decide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who was he waving that crank handle at? Well, he ordered a new car, but so far the crank handle is all he's gotten from General Motors. <laughs> okay, Mr. Pontoon, for four dollars. What brand of tea was used at the Boston Tea Party? Tenderleaf tea. Tenderleaf tea is absolutely correct. Now for eight bucks, Mr. Pontoon. Why did Sitting Bull sit down? Would you uh, repeat the question, please, Mr. Baker? For $8, why did Sitting Bull sit down? Uh, he was waiting for the cows to come home. No. You give up? Well, I... You'll be sorry! <laughs> His suspenders broke? No. You don't know, do you? Frankly, I don't, Mr. Well, Baker. Well, I'm sorry. Sitting Bull sat down because in those days there were so many things he couldn't stand for. See? Sorry, stand by for the giant jackpot. Yes, sir, Mr. Baker. Well, Portland, after I lost the giant jackpot, too, and the program was over, I sneaked out the side door. The cab driver and the crank handle were waiting for me. I didn't have the money, so I offered him the fountain pen Phil Baker had given me. The cab driver said... A fountain pen? First you chiseled me out of eight bucks, now you want me to learn how to write, eh? Police! Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, driver. This pen is worth $20. You'll be making $12. You can sell it to somebody. You sell it to somebody. All I want is eight bucks. Okay. The people are coming out of the broadcast now. I'll go around in front of the theater and sell it to someone. Me and the crank handle will be sitting in the cab waiting. Make it snappy. Cad, what a predicament. At my age, a sidewalk peddler. Well, the audience is coming out. I'll try this guy here. Hey. Hey, buddy. Yes? I got a $20 fountain pen. It's yours for eight bucks. Look. Under my coat. Look under my coat. A badge. You're a detective. Yeah, I've been looking for you, Black Market Moe. But officer... First it was fake almond bars with stones in them. Now it's hot fountain pens. But I'm not Black Market Moe. I'm Fred Allen. I just got this fountain pen on Take It or Leave It. Honest, look. Here's Phil Baker coming out of the theater. Phil can identify me. Phil. Hey, Phil. Hello, Mr. Baker. Hello, officer. What's the trouble? Tell him who I am, Phil. You know me. I'm Fred Allen. You know this character, Mr. Baker? Yes, I know him. Tell him who I am, Phil. Well, Prentice Pontoon. Phil. I'm Fred Allen on the radio. You're an oculist in a fish market. Uh, thanks, Mr. Baker. Come on, you. But, but, Phil, don't let him take me to court. I'll have to do time. You bet you will. But I... But for selling an Ebershaw pen on the street, <laughs> you'll go to jail not for years, not for life, but forever. Okay, black market now. Let's go. Oh, 
And now, Kenny, with a flattering word about the American woman. All over the world, the American woman is famous for her beauty. Her home is the ideal in other lands, too, and the way she runs it. She is practical about her home, her appearance, her dress, all her shopping. And it's being so practical that makes her choose tenderleaf tea balls over all others. Yes, tenderleaf tea balls are better in every way. That's why they're the largest selling tea balls in America. They provide finer tea, rich in fragrance, richer in flavor. Made with famous for flavor tenderleaf brand tea. Their greater convenience is a big help, too. Individual packets of tasteless filter paper, crisp white and appealing, ready any time to drop into your cup for a cup of quick comfort when you need it most. That's all there is to it. Just add boiling water and your quick comfort is ready. Heartwarming, delicious, crystal clear tenderleaf tea. So for every good reason, ask your grocer for tenderleaf brand tea ball. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks, Phil Baker. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, our guest will be the eminent Shakespearean actor and star of Hamlet, Maurice Evans. Thanks a lot for joining us and good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for the adventures of Philip Marlowe next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. In our next show, Philip Marlowe has been hired to investigate the disappearance of his gardener, who left with six silver goblets. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Soft Spot. And so much for the news from abroad. Here in Los Angeles, two persons were killed and eight injured today in three separate automobile accidents attributed directly to the thick fog that has blanketed the city ever since yesterday morning. Mm. And according to the Weather Bureau, the fog which is rolling in from the sea will be with us for... Smog, smog, everything's cockeyed. Hello. Philip Marlowe, please. Earl Hanley speaking. This is Marlowe. How are you, Mr. Hanley? How's the newspaper circulation business? Oh, bullsooming, Philip. Oh, uh, look, Marlowe. Can you come out to my joint on Las Feliz Boulevard, 3810? I'd like you to work for me again. And uh, you write your own ticket as usual. Uh, no, no, thanks. They play too rough in your league, Hanley. <laughs> Besides, it's a bum night to ride around in a cold newspaper truck watching out for hijackers. No, 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 it... no, no, Marlowe. It's nothing like that. This is personal business. Oh? Yeah, it's an old man who's disappeared. I'd like you to find him for me. Still a dark night. Double your fee. I see a light, Mr. Hanley. <laughs> Outside, the city was wrapped up tight in the kind of wet, ceiling zero fog that leaves you feeling damp and all alone. Hanley's joint on Los Feliz was an old English stone mansion. Sprawling, smothered in ivy, and about as cozy and come hither as a scream in the night. Inside, I followed an aging, round-shouldered butler whose footsteps didn't make any noise along the type of high, wide, nice-cold, furnished corridor you find only in museums. When we finally arrived at Hanley's study, however, things changed. It was a small room with bright lights, heat, and a desk cluttered with friendly bric-a-brac. Hanley himself was standing against the far wall, and for a moment, the contrast was jarring because the self-made man in shirt sleeves built like a boxcar and chewing on a cold cigar 
didn't at all match the collection of stiff family photos, 1890-style, that hung on the wall behind him. Yeah, what is it, Marlowe? Hard to find the family resemblance? From here. Your folks, Mr. Hanley? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, left to right. Uh, my mother, she passed on a year ago, oh. me as a kid. My father, a lush, and uh, my grandfather. <laughs> he claimed to have killed more Indians than ever existed. <laughs> All born and raised and a lot of nothing. Walking <coughs> fall. Yeah. Couldn't hold you, huh? Uh-uh. Couldn't bring me back either, even when Ma died. Yeah, it was only a little take when I ran away, Mono. Couldn't stand my grandfather even then. Nothing but a rod and a bottle. Bad combo. How about your father? Oh, I wrote a few nice words to him. My sister wrote me that Ma died. And I sent a fat check for flowers and a tombstone, but yeah, he never answered. Probably drank the dough up. He never could save a buck in his own, they tell me. Anyhow, enough of letting our hair down on Marlon. Let's get on to business. Sit down. Sir. Oh, thanks, sure. You, uh, you said someone disappeared, Mr. Hanley, an old man? Uh, yeah. yeah. It was a gardener here, Marlon. Name's Cooper, John Cooper. He's 60, 65, maybe, tall and skinny. <laughs> yeah, he's got a fringe of curly hair around his ears. The rest is strictly cue ball. Yeah, he shoved off yesterday. With what, Hanley? Uh, with... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you catch on fast, Phil. Yeah, you know, it's my trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the stuff don't amount to too much. Uh, half a dozen fancy silver drinking glasses, those... Uh, goblets? No, uh, goblets, yeah, yeah goblets. Uh, worth about a hundred apiece, nothing that'll dent me. Also, I'm insured, of course. Well, then the goblets mean something else. They do. Um... Let's call them a present from a lady. All right, let's. <laughs> I want them back, Mo. Why me? Why not the insurance company, the law? No. Hmm? No, that I don't want. <clears throat> and if you laugh when I tell you the reason, I'm going to punch you right square in the nose. And have some scotch. No, thanks. Go ahead. Well, drink alone, then, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Mm -hmm. hey, it's this old Duck Cooper, you know. I feel sorry for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he came in here one day last week, hat in hand, looking beat as an alley cat. So I gave him a job helping one of the gardeners, but uh, I was on to him right from the start. What does that mean? He was a gardener like I'm a ballet dancer. Oh. Yeah, I could tell. And from there on, it got worse. First couple of days, he watched me and everybody else around here pop out as a shoplifter loose in Tiffany's. But you didn't fire him? No, no. Now I figured a few square meals, some sleep, a little dough in his pocket, he'd calm him down. So I just put a new master padlock in my trophy room and let it go with it. That was your mistake, huh? Yeah, yeah. But uh, just so you don't think I'm losing my marbles, Phil, I better tell you about another mistake. But uh, gonna have to make this short dinner guest shit out. Another mistake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 15 years ago, Phil, I was in a spot just like this Cooper. Yeah, I was broke, hungry, mad at the world, and in a position to do the wrong thing. I did, and I got caught. The boss understood, read me the riot act, and let me go. Right, today it's my turn. Want to laugh? Not very much. Tell me, what have you got for me to go on? Well, thin air. Ah, but you're good, Muller. You'll make out. The name and description I already gave you there. Mm -hmm. All right, here's the rest of it, according to the servants. One, they lived somewheres around Skid Row. Mm -hmm. Two, he never touched anything that kicked harder than ginger ale. And uh, that he went for in a big way. Three, he had a buddy in his neighborhood who was teaching him how to whittle. Uh, you know, make stuff, carving wood. Yeah, I know. And that's it, huh? Well, that plus the fact that he smoked these pint-sized cigars, we found a pack of them in the overalls of one. Here they are. Mm -hmm. They're called Aces Up. 
Made in a downtown L.A. shop, also on Skid Row. Oh, the address is in the box there. Could help? Could. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> see what I can do, Mr. Hanley. Okay, Marlowe. Call me as soon as you get close, will you? Sure. Oh, and uh, Marlowe. Yeah? I, uh, I want those goblets pretty bad, uh, but uh, <laughs> take care of the old man, will you? I know what you mean. Yeah. Also, Hanley, I think it's a pretty decent thing that yeah, you... Yeah, you'll have to excuse me, Marlowe. I got a change for my guess. I'll talk to you, huh? I followed Hanley back along the museum corridor past the guests who included a spy beautiful lady dressed in too much black chatting with a crisp item in banker's gray flannel who looked like he'd been born holding an hors d'oeuvre I didn't see how they could have much in common with their host but when the big front door eased closed behind me I forgot about them and concentrated on finding a needle in a haystack A needle in a haystack in a fog yet. Well, the tobacco manufacturer responsible for the handmade black rope called Aces Up was my first try. His shop was a two-by-four dirty glass storefront labeled H. Andrade in dry, peeling gold foil that flaked off when I opened and closed the front door. And what had to be the proprietor was alone, rolling cigars on a rickety table that was stacked high with damp, dark tobacco leaves. He didn't look up when I described the man I was after Last if he'd seen him. A moment later, when he did turn his head my way to answer, I realized why. I am sorry, senor. I don't see nobody. I am blind. Fine start, huh? And for some cockeyed reason, like the fog or the kind of man I was after or the neighborhood of derelicts I moved through, which could have used a few sprays of sweet air, didn't get any better. Not at least for the next hour, during which I stuck to the wood carving angle and covered every possible tie-in I could think of including a visit to a nearby home for retired men of the sea. Looking for someone who's teaching a man to whittle. That's right. He's teaching an old man named John Cooper. Ever hear of him? No, can't say I have. But lots of lads here whittle. Why don't you have a chat with them? Okay, I In will... the morning. They're all bedded down now, mate. Wouldn't want to pipe them out over a silly question like yours, would you? Uh, no. No, Skipper. Let him sleep. <laughs> Right there, the whittling went the way of Aces Up Cigars, and I turned to my last hope. John Cooper's Minia for ginger ale. However, asking about that in the cheap, noisy bars of dotted Main Street was even a sillier question. It gave all the local comics their big break. Finally... Straight ginger ale, you say, huh? Now, let me see. I get so many orders for it, Joe. It could have been the time Carrie Nation stopped in, or... Uh, was it the night some joker who was eating pig's knuckles called for a finger ball? Now, look, bright eyes. Let's work a little less on the gags and a little more on... Hey, see that guy over there in the corner booth, the little fellow whittling on that stick? You know him? Come on, come on. Here's five for your trouble. Who is he? The name is Skeeter. Been doing his drinking and wood chopping here for five years. Is he always alone? Not always. Sometimes he has a buddy with him. Lately, an old ball, he's trying to teach how to cut them poles. Oh. A guy who never orders nothing at all, so don't get started. What does Skeeter at... drink? Skeeter? Yeah. Why, he always has bourbon and... Yeah. Bourbon and ginger ale. Uh-huh. The guy you want must drink Skeeter's chases, huh? That figures, thanks. Well, don't mention it, Screwball. A profitable pleasure. with Making me nervous. What is it, mister? Lose something? Sort of. John Cooper. Oh. Have you seen him, Skeeter? He told me I could get in touch with him through you here at this bar. Said you were a friend. And I am. Say, 
Is he in trouble, mister? Maybe. What makes you ask? Because he didn't show tonight. And last night he was all out of sorts. Had something on his mind. Couldn't pay attention to the lesson I was giving him. Is it bad? No, not if I can get next to him in a hurry. Tell me, Skeeter, do you know where he where he stays? Sure do. A rat hole over on South Spring, number two. Hey, wait. Huh? You ain't a cop, are you? Oh, no. A friend, Skeeter. Yeah? What kind of cigars does he smoke, friend? Aces up. Do I pass? Uh-huh. It's 210 South Spring. 210 South Spring. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So long, Skeeter. I'll get in touch if I need any more help. Oh, Sorry, buddy. I was in a hurry. I didn't see you. You lost up my shoeshine, sweetheart. Where you running? Get your mitts off. I said I was sorry. What do you want? The dime you invested in the shiny? Your ears slapped down into the pockets of that zoot suit. Which? Okay, okay. We'll let it go. I thought we would. So long again, Skeeter, and thanks. After I made my call to my client and told him how we stood, I drove the half a dozen blocks to 210 South Spring Street. The place was the kind of stale-smelling, beer-can-littered, dingy, two-story affair that made you wonder if the garbage collector got around anymore. When I knocked on the cracked glass front door that sported a laundry shirt cardboard that said rooms for rent and eyebrow pencil, I was ready for anything. And that's what I got. Puffy red eyes, bad teeth, smell of cheap gin, all in a cold cream, shiny face that was half-hidden by enough bleached blonde hair to stuff an ottoman. Hey, handsome, I can catch my death of cold here. What's up? You the landlady? No, she passed out. Uh, I was drinking with her, so I'll do. What do you want? An old man named John Cooper. Is he in? A skinny duffer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I seen him earlier. It's that door back there, the one on the right. Hey! Hey, jockey! What do you want back there? Where are you going? What's the use? This way, miss. It was that Cooper's room the fella just came out of, last on the right? Yeah, that's it. That louse probably swiped your friend's bottle. He's the kind. Mm. Ah, empty. Too bad. You know, he drinks you under the table and then takes what's left. Which in this case would be ginger ale. Cooper doesn't drink. Yeah? Oh, I didn't know about that. <laughs> hey! Hey, you got company? Hey, Cooper! Lights on. Try the knob, huh? Hey, you're kind of anxious. Yeah, yeah. Your game, mister. <laughs> he doesn't drink, huh? What do you call that spread eagle position on the floor? Napping? No. Not with that knife in his chest. Huh? I call that murder. In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, one of your favorite laugh shows and stars, My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball, will return to CBS this Saturday night. Formerly heard on Sunday nights, Lucille Ball and her favorite husband will now be heard on most of these same CBS stations every Saturday night. Be listening this Saturday when Lucille plunges that favorite husband into a mad and merry mix-up over who is the town's best or worst-dressed man. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Soft Spot. The old man's body was rumpled in death like a discarded bundle of rags, loosely pinned at the center with a knife that had killed him. And as the frowsy blonde gradually realized he was dead, 
The look on her face was dumb, slack mouth revulsion. Gee, death's an awful looking thing, ain't it? Ain't it? Hey, don't touch him, mister. It don't seem decent to... Decency is strictly relative, sister. There's a scratch here on his neck. Like a woman's fingernail draped it. Where? Hey, his locket's gone. Locket? Yeah. This old guy wore a locket? Yeah, I seen it on him yesterday when the cops hauled off that redhead from upstairs. This old guy was shaving and he came out in the hall without his shirt on to watch and I seen the locket around his neck. What did it look like? I was a little square one on a gold chain. Now it ain't there. Hmm. Ripped off and in a hurry. That much old gold's not worth murder even in this backwash. Baby, what do you use for closets? Closets? Are you mm. kidding? In this dump, you hang your stuff on the plumbing and like it. Why? Uh, well, then there's no place here that six big silver goblets could be hiding, I guess. Ah, you couldn't hide a shot glass in this joint. Not for long, anyway. Well, the old boy traveled light. There's nothing here but... What? Mm. Hey, where'd you find? Hmm? What'd you find? Oh, oh, this newspaper story on the table. Torn out of the day before yesterday's paper, it says... Nelson Root, wealthy Beverly Hills broker, dies in a freak car smasher. Root is survived by his wife, former showgirl Evelyn Lansing. Hey, now, Root, what do you suppose that old guy was saving that for? To have sold his shoes with, maybe? Oh, sure. Now, look, as long as you got your brain in gear, tell me where I can find that guy who ran out of here. Chalky? Yeah. Hey, listen, mister, I don't want to get mixed up in this. I just live here and I'm I... back here. Mind. You're already mixed up in it. That chalky's awful hard, mister. I wouldn't want to cross now, him. Now, listen, that old man there was murdered, remember? It's for keeps. You tell me here and now or the cops down at headquarters. Come on, where does he live? I, I don't know for sure. I think I heard once he's got a shack in the alley behind some warehouse over on San Pedro Street. Which warehouse? I don't know. Honest, I don't know. I... Hey, you might find out at Dooley's Diner. I think he shoots craps over there. Okay. Thanks, baby. And do yourself another favor before you cool off. Call the police. <laughs> It took a solid hour of devious back alley trails before I finally broke down the intimidated loyalty of the Skid Row Brotherhood with a well-placed $10 bill and got a bona fide lead. In the thick fog that crawled along the alley, Chalky's shack had all the welcome home look of a wet gutter. It was wedged in under the hulking concrete base of an overpass like, like dirt under a giant fingernail. Sick yellowish light oozed out through a single tiny window, too murky to see into so I did the next best thing and hoped that he was alone inside. Who's there? Who is it? I, uh, I got a tip for you, Chucky. Dooley sent me. It's about the Johns. They're after you. Cops. Hey, wait a minute. What's the tip, fellow? What? Hey. Hey, where are you? Right here, Chucky. Now stay where you are, Buster. I'll kick your head off. Hey. Hey, what's the idea? I want fast answers, Chucky. Nice straight ones. Why tonight's the old guy tonight? Tonight's the old... Hey, who are you? What's the idea? I want answers, not questions, Chalky. Why'd you do it? I didn't. I didn't kill him. I never used the ship. He was already dead when I went in there. I lifted that locket off to the old coot, that's all, so help me. Give me that locket. I ain't got it no more. Mom Murphy's got it now. I I hocked it already. She gave me three and a quarter on it. Look, I I got a buck left. If you want that, you, you can have it. You're Grifter. You're killing old man to get the trinket for two cents. No, no, I didn't. I seen that guy with the big ears. Went out of the old coot's room, so I went up to wait take a, minute, a look. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Guy with big ears? Yeah. He was a zoot suitor. I, I never seen him around before. I, I'd remember them flaps of his. Mm. He, he ran out of the old guy's joint in the big steam squad. Hey, now listen, buddy. He was the guy who done it honest. Ain't no doubt about it. He was the... Hey, now wait a minute. You, uh, 
You ain't a friend of his, are you? He is again. Hey. No reason, unless he was telling me. Oh, now listen, buddy, no I never reason. put the finger on the guy before in my life. But when it's protecting my own hide, I got to... Yeah, I could have been the finger. So long, Chalky, and drop dead. It was still foggy outside, but my own personal fog began to lift. Big ears must have been tailing me, overheard me on the phone, and got to the old man first. But why? Why the clipping that old man Cooper had about Nelson Root's accident? Nelson Root survived by a widow. A widow? Holy smoke! Callahan of the Daily Star gave me half a dozen pictures of Evelyn Lansing Root, from her early cheesecake days right on up to the role of widow in mourning. There was no doubt left. She was the lady in black, one of my client's dinner guests. By the time I'd driven through the fog out to Los Feliz again and up to Hanley's sprawled-out house, I'd lined the whole business up to where it made a twisted kind of sense. There was nothing left to do but nub it in his lap. I found him in his study. What's wrong, Marlowe? Maybe you better tell me. Tell you what. Did you find Cooper or didn't you? Sure. I found him. I found him dead. What? The old man is dead. You know perfectly well he's dead. Come on, Marlowe, sit down. Have a drink, you'll be. No, thanks. I've covered a lot of ground tonight, most of it pretty slimy. Led me in a big circle that started here and ends here, and now it's late. We're both fairly intelligent. Let's give each other a break, shall we? Go on. Let's suppose that a man was in love with a woman, a married woman, who was tired of her husband. So? So uh, she and the man arranged for the husband to die in a freak uh, accident. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And let's suppose a strange old geezer overheard them plan it and then disappeared. Oh, that's rough, rough. I imagine they'd have to find him and shut him up, wouldn't they? Or he'd blackmail him to death. Possibly. And how do you suppose they'd go about that, Hanley? Hire a private detective, maybe? Give him a song and a dance about a theft, a trumped-up story about some missing silver goblets, maybe? Maybe. Only, uh, he'd be much too reputable to do their killing. Yeah, so they'd hire a professional killer, one with big ears, to follow the detective. And when the old man was located, the killer would step in and go to work with a knife. And then vanish completely. Because he'd be a good professional man. Well, Hanley? Well, Marlowe. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great yarn. Yeah, but a little fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> oh, good boy. That's the way I figured. Too weird to take seriously. Tony, I'm going to make it stick. Yeah? Marlowe, you try to embarrass me with a crackpot theory like that, and I'll make you the laughing stock of this state, do you hear? I'll have you hooted right out of the business. Because you don't have one shred of proof, Marlow, and you'll never be able to get one. And what's more, you know it, don't you? Don't get your hands off me, Hanley. Sure. <laughs> oh, come on, Phil. Come on, come on. Uh, let's have that drink now, and then you go on home and forget all about this, huh? Sure. <laughs> oh, after all, the old jerk was just a skid road drifter. He didn't belong any place. Who'll ever miss him? He was nobody, Phil. Get it? <laughs> Mr. Nobody. He's no law, so let's just forget him. Marlo! Marlo, wait a minute! Marlo, come back here! I had to get out. What made it even worse to us that I knew he had me. I couldn't even begin to prove the first word of what I knew was the truth. I couldn't sleep with it either. That was why an hour later I leaned against the lamppost back on Skid Row again and looked across a lifeless intersection through the eddying fog at the gaunt flop house where the old man had died. Wayfaring stranger in the night. Hiya, pal. Beat it. Wait a minute, wayfaring stranger. 
Couldn't you accommodate me to the extent of a match, or would that break your back? Here. Keep him. Thanks. Why don't you go home, pal? Hmm? Nothing happens here on Cooper Street after 2 in the a.m. <laughs> As a matter of fact, nothing happens anywhere anymore. Cooper Street. Cooper? That's one right out of the book. I'll bet 50 bucks on it. Nine out of ten, they'll take the name of a street. Huh? Who? Never mind. You live around here? You kidding. Where's Ma Murphy's pawn shop? Hey, easy. Watch the lapels, pal. Well, come on. Where is it? Ma's joined us three blocks down on Filbert, downstairs, middle of the block. But there's no romance there, pal. <laughs> to call the cops. The idea. Getting me out of a warm bed in the middle of the night to give you a look at a cheap little locket. And all on a dizzy hunch, you said. Yeah, a wild one. You know the locket I mean, Ma. Come on, try it out. Well, that'll do you no good anyway, sonny. Can't sell it to you for 30 days yet. The law, you know. Yeah, sure. But you've been waking at the law so long, you're blind in one eye, Ma. <laughs> Is that so? Well, here you are. See. Is it hot, Sonny? I'll know in a minute. It's the inside I want to see if it's... Oh. What is it, Sonny? Is something the matter? Yeah, my hunch paid off, Ma. It's hot, all right. Hot enough to burn a guy to death. Here's my card. I'm taking this along. What? Now, well, hold on a minute, you. Hey, stop. I'll call the cops. Don't bother, honey. I'll call him myself. <laughs> lights were still on in Earl Hanley's study, so I pulled over and parked on the street and went up the walk on foot. And as I moved to the door, the fog slid around me in thick swirls. When Hanley answered, his face was hard and ugly. He had a gun in his hand. Our business is over with, Marlowe. Not quite, Hanley. What do you want? I got a tag for our fantastic little Just Suppose story. You're either drunk or stupid, Marlowe. I warned you once, now beat it. Not till you've heard my punchline, Hanley. It goes like this. Suppose a wife died after 40 years of marriage and left her husband alone. A lonely, lost old man who's mellowed with the years. Suppose he doesn't have much time left himself and he knows it, but he's got an obsession. An old unhappiness he wants to set straight. He wants to see a fella, not cause any trouble. Just be around where he can look at him now and then. Come on, get to the point. Sure, this is the point, Hanley. Here. Here, take it. Where did you get this locket, Marlowe? Where, where? Just suppose it has your picture in one side and your mother's in the other. What then? I, I gave this locket to my mother when I was a kid. Where did you get it? Come on, tell me. It came from around the neck of a harmless, sentimental old man who was stabbed to death tonight by a hired killer. But... He'd never have turned you in or blackmailed you, Hanley. Because that old man was your father. I... I... I had my own father killed. I... I... I ordered my own father's death. I didn't know it. Yeah. Mr. Nobody, remember? Come on, Hanley, give me the gun. We can go now. Hanley went quietly. All the way, he kept a little locket clenched in his fist. But as I led him up the stairs of police headquarters, he broke loose long enough to shatter both his hands against the marble pillar. He wound up in a straitjacket. But it didn't matter much because when they picked up Evelyn Root, the lady in too much black, she filled in the rest of the story, including a lead to Big Ears. 
When it was over and I was sitting outside in my car, alone in the fog that pressed close against the windows, I could see nothing of the city. Nothing but the soft, swimming white mist which hid the black outlines of Skid Row. <laughs> Funny thing, you know. Some people can get out of Skid Row, but Skid Row will never get out of some people. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Richard Sanville and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Bill Boucher, Vivi Janis, Verna Felton, Edgar Berrier, Peter Leeds, Nestor Paiva, and Paul Dubov. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Durant. <laughs> be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time there were five masks. One for greed, one for cowardice, one for cruelty, and one for deceit. And they all covered a murder. But it was the fifth mask that really counted, because it uncovered the killer. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Suspense, followed by The Life of Riley. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.